I wanted it to be something that, you know, was very approachable and just tastes good and is maybe considered a bit more healthy and but yet unique for the fine dining environment. But I also wanted to make sure that I kept it a little bit more simple and, you know, not overly played with food or anything like that. Hello, and welcome to Food Crush, the On Milwaukee podcast for people who eat. As always, I am your co-host, Matt Miller, culture editor at onmilwaukee.com. And I am joined, as always, by Lori Frederick, dining editor at onmilwaukee.com. How are you doing today, Lori? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's a brisk fall day out there. Yeah. We had a little bit of snow this morning. I was going to um, say, it, today was but, officially the first snow of the 2022-23 winter season. Yeah. Uh, and the Packers lost yesterday against the Jets. <laughs> so okay. it's just been a pretty bad 24 hours in general for uh, Wisconsin. Well, sort of. I mean, I don't think, I think snow at this time of the year is sort of like snow in April. I think it's actually a little bit harder in April because you're just tired of snow. But yeah. at least when it snows like this, I mean, it shouldn't be snowing now, but it's not going to last. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, any and, snow that happened yeah. here has disappeared already. So yes. we, we yeah. are no longer dealing with the consequences of the snow. Exactly. We're just dealing with the 40 degree weather of it. And that happens. It'll get warm again before it gets cold. It's cold completely forever. So, yeah. I mean, I assume That's we'll have that thing. weird late summer in November that we get, where we it's like sixty-five degrees for a weekend, and everyone's just like, "What are we yeah. supposed to do with this?" I have yeah. Halloween stuff out. This is confusing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but as we kind of move in, into that, we have a great guest here with us. We today. do. Um, we are here with Chef Adam Siegel, um, a long time player on the Milwaukee food scene and um, he is currently the owner of Loopy and Iris which opened five months ago. Adam, you're the expert Yeah, this. hi there like, Hi everyone hey. we, so, we opened up uh, in the middle of May, so yeah five months yeah. ago. So five months because it was, I was I think it was four and a half when I talked to you a few weeks ago So yep. um, th- that has to feel pretty good because this is your this is your very first venture, kind of. I mean, you have a partner on this project, but a venture Correct. kind of on your own. Where um, It is, where it's not somebody else's restaurant group. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's it was a kind of a long time in the making and mm-hmm. uh, happy to be at this point. And it's been a really great uh, thing to do uh, in the city of Milwaukee and for the city of Milwaukee and yeah. to see how things have been going over the past five months has been just really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So most, I, I would say most people probably know you from your career with Bartolotta's restaurants or Bartolotta restaurants because you were there for 21 21 years, yes. Um, so that's a, that's a pretty good span of time, you know. For some people, that's most of their lifetimes. Um, but but like your 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 career, your love of food, all of that. I mean, goes back further. Um, sure, of course. So I don't know. I, I kind of want to start at the beginning. Like, what made you decide? When when did you know that you wanted to be a chef? Um, well, I guess I probably knew that I wanted to be a chef when I was around 18 or 19 and didn't really want to 
study anything general in college, didn't want to go to school for art as I was planning on going to, to do. Um, and I had already been working in restaurants, grew up in a small family restaurant and figured it was time to do something that, that I at least liked to do. And, uh, with the encouragement of a cousin, um, I applied to culinary school after already had been working in restaurants and that's where it started. Did um, your family, your family run a restaurant or did you uh, just work? My stepfather owned a small fast food place in, uh, outside of Chicago. And, and, you know, so just seeing that and how restaurants operated and everything, but I always had a love for food. always loved watching the cook, all the different cooking shows when I was a kid. Jacques Pepin, Julia Child, the, you know, say, all those things. It was probably, probably PBS like I had when I was a kid because exactly. you know, Food Network hadn't been birthed. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah and the Food Network was not around then. Um, yeah. But seeing all those cool shows and like great chefs, great cities was like one of the coolest uh, cooking shows ever because it was just going into real kitchens and seeing a chef make a recipe. So yeah. I really took a liking towards all those. And whenever I had a job throughout um, middle school or high school, uh, it was always in the kitchen. So, hmm. And what kind of places did you work? Was it kind of a combination of more casual uh, spots? It was a, yeah, it was a combination of, uh, of fast food and then also um, some casual dining. A little bit, one was a little bit more on the finer dining side. And that was when I was in high school, and that's really what, you know, started my interest more into cooking. I got that job. I remember when I was sixteen and worked there for two and a, you know, two years um, throughout my high school years, and you know, learned from the chef there. It was got a job as a dishwasher, prep cook didn't show up. All of a sudden, I was a prep cook, and then next thing I knew, I was okay. you know working working on the line next to the chef on weekends, and it was great. Fun. So, what, I was going to say, what what kinds of food did you guys make? Uh, it was fun. more like you know back. Then, it was in the mid eighties, so it was like yeah. you know more American continental, or you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just all different kinds of cuisine. And we, this was when I lived in Florida, so we did have a lot of seafood, um, which was great. Um, yeah. I just re- and the chef was. Uh, he was uh, he was of German descent, so he used to make a lot of dishes that were you know influenced by those Euro- you know more European mm-hmm. in style. So yeah, yeah. So you so you made the decision then to go to culinary school, as opposed. I to did when I was when school. I was uh, eighteen or nineteen. Um, I went to applied to Kendall College. It was in Evanston, Illinois, then, and um, I had already. You know, I was already working in a restaurant in Chicago, um, nothing that was known or anything like that, but I was line cooking already and enjoying it. And, um, you know, and I, I made the move and, yeah. you know, that's when I really started taking it very seriously. Did you find, did you find um, a lot of value, you know, folks talk both ways kind of about what culinary school instills in them. And I think depending on where you're at in your life, you know, um, some, some people will say, you know, like, oh, I got so much more just working, like, you know, the hands-on in restaurants. Right. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But there's but there's lots of different perspectives on that. So I'm just curious how you found. Well, it's, there's that. always something valuable to be pulled out of anything, and you know, culinary school did teach me a lot. But this industry, the way that you get better is by actually working in the field. It's no different than you know doctors. They're going to learn all the stuff in in you know while they're in med school, but not not until when they're actually in the field and getting the practice and working with people and on people. You know that's when they're really becoming experienced in doctors and experts in what they're doing. Yeah. Same yes, with you culinary don't, You don't want students. somebody to do brain surgery on you who just read about it. No, you and know. you don't want somebody who just who just graduated culinary school and doesn't have much experience either yeah. preparing you know a twelve course fine dining meal right. for you yet because they just don't have the True. the skills yet so it just you know it, it gives you a foundation it gives you a basis you know if anything you know some of the best classes that you could get out of it are the business classes um mm-hmm. and math classes like, which like are really important and, yeah. correct those are so important to know all that stuff you know so that when you do um become a, a chef or a student that you you know are in the culinary field you you know how to make all those costs work because if you can't figure that part of it out, you're not going to be a successful chef because, you know, it's, it's about, you know, making sure that you run a successful business, mm-hmm. not just a successful food program. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cooking's really only half the job. Yeah. And like you said, learning the stuff, you know, on the line and experiential stuff, like you can't on the line learn about, you know, cost, uh, you know, uh, cost benefit analysis and, you know, and budgeting right. and stuff like that. That's that's stuff that you, you need to actually, you know, sit down and be taught in a lot of cases and figuring exactly. out, you know, the economics of food. Is there, do you think there's a way to make, because it's interesting because, you know, film is, film is very similar. Film school is very similar where, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, you should go to film school because it really kind of teaches you the basics and stuff like that. And really, like you said, gives a foundation. But other people are like, I, you need to just go and do it. That'll be the best lesson that you'll ever get in this field. Is there a way that, you know, these kind of art-themed, humanities-themed education ideas can improve and become more important or is it just kind of inevitable that these are things that people are going to learn more you know being out there and you know getting out like that you need a a balance of yeah Yeah. i think it's a little bit of both you know it's it's important that you you know when you're in school you get this good foundation but it can only give you so much you know it's experience and time that's going to give you you know all the the requirements that you need to just keep on moving forward and becoming a, a, a better, um, you know, chef or photographer or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is that you choose to be. Um, so I think that school gives you that good beginning foundation. And the more you pay attention to it, and the, I think it doesn't need to be as super detail oriented as what, you know, some students are looking for. I think that, you know, you need to just be able to take those basics and then be able to apply them later on when you you do decide to, you know, be more specific about what it is that you're going to be doing. You know, in, in culinary school, they give you a, most of the time you get some light butchery classes. You know, learning the mm. basics of butchering a fish is really important. Learning the basics yeah. 
of butchering certain meats is really important. But you're not going to learn like all the, you know, super detailed parts of that until you get further along and you have more experience butchering those, those, those fish and, you know, or those meats. Mm-hmm. Same with sauce making, same with vegetable cutlery and all that stuff. Yeah. It's well, time. And, and it's there's experience. different ways. And there's yeah. different ways of doing all of those things. You know, exactly. I mean, you can, you can cut up a, a pig, you know, three, four different, you know, different parts can right. be cut up three, four different ways. And it just depends where you are and what you yeah. want. Exactly. Were those the kind of yeah. classes that you enjoyed most in your experience? Like, were were there were there particular <laughs> classes that you were like, oh, like that? That's something that I would go back and take again, even now as like a grown up. Uh, I probably wouldn't go back now. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I'm I'm not one who's meant for school, yeah. really. Uh, yeah. Especially you're, now. Well, you're not, you're not <laughs> alone. I mean, most, most people right. go to culinary school. Gl- it's because it's a, you know, it's a means, it's means to an end, you know. But, well, I'm glad yeah. I did it. I, I, no, I have no regrets doing it. My thing was do the best you can, get through with it, and let's make sure that, that you know, I don't have to repeat any classes and that I can graduate (laughs) and that I can just keep moving forward. But I did enjoy some classes more than others. Like I remember I enjoyed butchery. I enjoyed sauce making. I enjoyed, you know, like the, you know, the product knowledge classes that we had because there was so much that I didn't know about, you know, with certain items. Um, You know, as much as I still find them to be the most important classes now, I hated the accounting classes because it was like, you know, I, I actually had to pay attention in those yeah. and be yeah, like, like oh, wait. Come here that's to really more, that really more like exactly. food. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So what, I, I have to ask. So this, what, was there like anything in particular that stuck with you from the sauce making class? Like it, it seems so interesting that a whole class could be about sauce making. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it it also makes total sense that there would be a class about sauce making. Well, there's so much to making a sauce and so much, you know, from the beginnings of the stocks and, you know, the aromatics, what type of sauce it is, because there's so many different types that I was, I became fascinated with it. And one of my favorite things to do nowadays is to make sauces, and I really enjoy it. And one thing that I am not, and I'm getting better over the years, is I'm not the most patient person in the world. But with a sauce, you have to be patient. So sauce making has taught me a lot about patience because I, you can't rush it. And yeah. that's the, the, the beauty of some of the sauce making. It's, it's how it, it progresses over time with reduction, with, you know, how everything changes, all the ingredients in it as it's as it's cooking and and so that's yeah because it's a combination of science and building flavor right so correct correct yeah 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 so well that well that's fun that's fun did you did kendall do internships like or so um, yeah yes so that's 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 where um, the Bartolotta uh, connection comes in. So I had to do a, halfway through my, my schooling, I had to do a six-month uh, externship. And that's where I went and I applied at Spiaggia in Chicago and sat with oh, Paul and that's Bartolotta. where Paul was. Okay. Yeah. And I, so I ended up doing a, a six-month externship that turned into a three-year three um uh, stay working there afterwards. So it, okay. it, 
you know, that's where my relationship with Paul began. Was that before, after Paul had won the James Beard for Spanish? He won his first James Beard when I was working there. Um, okay. So um, I think I was there about, uh, a, I think I was there not quite a year when he won his, his James Beard Award for okay. Best Chef Midwest. And I mean, I remember it was a pretty cool thing. Um, yeah, yeah, that was, so that I, was I, back when Chicago was still in the Midwest. <laughs> yes, <laughs> now it was. Now they've said, no, you win too many. You have to, get, you have to go join a different region. Exactly. <laughs> just, like, just like New York. Yeah. Um, so it was it was a it was a great time, and I learned so much. And you know, I it was a great group of people that worked there. Um, it was a very intense kitchen. It, you know, it was the only Italian restaurant on that level of fine dining in the in the Midwest, if not you know really one of the best in the country by by far. And it was just a great experience um, being there for those three years. Uh, that's kind um, of it's that's kind of remarkable. I mean, how <clears throat> how much luck to get into, you know, mm-hmm. a place like that kind of on your first go. Um, sure. It was it was great, you know, I'm uh it was a, it was a cool place to work, you know, I mean, working on on the corner of Michigan and Oak and uh in Chicago is, you know, it's a cool cool That's area kind of a and spot. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and you know, it was just it was just fun to be a part of that group and to learn everything that I did there um was tremendous for my career from just, you know, the the basics that I improved upon there, you know, learning more about sauce making, learning about pasta um fabrication, you know, was was huge um you know, because at that point, I didn't know it was going to become such a big part of my culinary career, you know, pasta right. making and all that stuff. So it was great. Um, it was really good and, time. And, and Paul is um, famous for taking people to Italy. <laughs> Did you go yeah. when you were Why with him there? Why can't I work for anyone famous for taking people places? <laughs> That's not fair. So uh, after, after Spiaggia, I moved out to San Francisco and I worked okay. for um, Julian Serrano at a restaurant called Bassa's. Which uh, Julian uh, is um, now at the chef at Picasso in Las Vegas. Um, so mm. it, this was, you know, I went from fine dining Italian to fine dining French, and I worked out there for three years. And so, also um, we defining were, to your career. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, and this was a much different restaurant because it was only, um, it was just barely sixty seats. It was uber fine dining it was um one of the best restaurants in the country at the time uh neck and neck with with french laundry out and out for the west coast and it was great and i was you know i was a, a cook there for three years and julian was was very different because he was more hands-on he worked on the line with us and you know was cooking there with us every night and it was a very intense kitchen but I learned a lot about fine dining and, you know, it was very detail oriented with, you know, how we played it to how we went about things and the freshness of the produce that we would go and get because of where we were in San Francisco and going to all the markets and then just all the people coming to us to sell us their products was pretty incredible. 
Um, so when I was, after being out there for two and a half years, Paul was actually visiting out in California. He was doing an event. And so I got together with him and he asked me if I wanted to had any interest in cooking in Italy. And I said, yes. And so that's how uh, um, that happened. So uh, he called up Valentino Marcatelli, who's the chef of San Domenico um, in Imola, Italy. And then that's how I got a spot out there. And I was out in Italy for a year. Oh, that's incredible. So, so he what liked was, you. So he liked wild. you. Yes. You know, came yeah. and found you. I mean, yeah. Paul became my, you know, a chef mentor yeah. to me, uh, you know, when I started there and, you know, I followed his direction and, you know, especially at the age that I was, not many people stay at a place for three years at a time or No, because you're like still that. in your early 20s at this point. Right. right? Yeah. And he helped open up a door in, in San Francisco for me with, with working at Masa's and then, okay. you know, to help me to get to Italy and where I stayed for a year. And working in Italy was really great when I started there. Um, we were a one-star uh, Michelin restaurant, and while I was there, we gained our second star. And that oh. was, you know, well, you, you seem to have like? this effect on places. Yeah, like you yeah. just be on what, 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 what's that, award, and you got What's it. that like to be at a place where that process <laughs> yeah. is going on? Where you that's know, true because we don't have Michelin stars and, here in Milwaukee. Either. Yeah. So, what, what was that process like to, to be in a place? Is it like the pressure cooker that they put on TV and in the movies or? No, you know, it was, it was it, you know, we just always took things very seriously and, and but also had a good time. And we just worked on making good food and, you know, creating the, the environment and, you know, the products that people wanted. <coughs> um, Did you? I've heard people tell stories though about how um either getting their first um michelin star or stars or getting bumped up with stars can really change how that how that space works because people hear that and then all of a sudden like you can't get through the door you know for right for months and months um and some chefs have said you know I don't know. I wanted to be a place that was accessible to people. And now it's literally like, we, you know, we're swamped all the time and people can't just come here. They have to have a reservation because, you know, we had to do all of these things that kind of weren't natural. Well, there were certain times. Um, right. There, I mean, when I worked in Italy, there were certain times when it was super busy and people couldn't get in. I mean, it was only like a 40 or so seat restaurant, 50 seat restaurant. But, I mean, it was in this little town outside of a of a big city. So it wasn't like, it was like a super destination place, you know, for everyday dining. It was for the town, but, um, you know, it was, I don't know. I just kind of looked at it. It was like, you know, I'm working in a restaurant and this is what we did. And, you know, we just happened to be at this level and it was, you know, because Michelin isn't just about the food. It's about the service. It's about the, you know, the, the whole entire environment that the, that the restaurant is from start to finish. And, you know, the food's just one aspect of it. Um, service, environment, ambiance, that all plays into what makes a Michelin star restaurant. And it was just really great to be a part of that level. Now, you know, when I worked at Masa's, that would have been, you know, of the same level uh, as far as Michelin, you know, and, you know, funny as it is, but I, when I worked there, 
Julian Serrano won a James Beard Award while I was there. So it was kind of cool, too. So you have you like, you've had everywhere you go. Yeah. 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 You're yeah. like a lucky rabbit's foot. foot but you yeah. so, so, I mean, it, it was cool to always see all these accomplishments of the restaurants or the chefs that I've worked for, you know, go through. And it, it, it certainly yeah. felt good for me. You were as, also, as yeah, you were also really lucky, I think, to have worked with, you know, folks. That were at that yes. level, you know, who were yes. who were on their way, probably, you know, had worked hard and were on their way to exactly, you know, to getting that acclaim. Um, so let's jump. So you were in Italy. Um, how long then before you went and ended up back at Bartolatis in Milwaukee? I think that was the big. If I do, I remember correctly that coming to Milwaukee wasn't necessarily the plan. No, it wasn't. So I, I moved from Italy, I moved back to Washington, D.C., and I helped open up um, a restaurant called Olives for uh, Todd English um, oh, wow. as one of the sous chefs. And that's because um, one of my friends from San Francisco was opening up as the general manager. And so I took that position. It gave me a reason to come back. Uh, to the states because I don't think I would have <laughs> come back. One. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I probably would have just stayed out there for longer. Yeah. And um, but uh, I came back after that, you know, being out there a year, and then took that position on. And that's when I met my my wife uh, Daria. That's where we met uh, working at Olives, and it, um, it, you know, so so I always remember that as one of the best places I ever worked at. Uh, because I I met my wife. Did she and, did she work there uh, or was she? She worked at she worked okay. she worked at the restaurant. She was one of the opening managers. I was one of the opening okay. sous chefs. And oh, wow. um, one day Paul called me and asked if I would be interested in moving out to Milwaukee because he and Joe were looking at expanding um, the restaurant group. They were bidding for the big Potawatomi project that was going on then. This was in two thousand. Oh, yeah. And so they were planning on uh, making uh, Mark Weber, who was the chef of Lake Park Bistro back then, promoting him for the corporate chef. And they needed somebody who was going to be able to help with, with Lake Park Bistro and the, and the company to grow. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought I'd be here for a year, maybe two at most, and then move back just, to like... Just kind of like, help them out and then move to a yeah, real city. And then, yeah. and then <laughs> move back to like still, Chicago you know. or New York or something yeah. like that. And yeah. Here we are. <laughs> Because to be honest, I mean, Milwaukee at that time was definitely like looking back now with hindsight being what it is, you could see that things were developing and moving in, you know, the right direction. But we definitely didn't have the sort of scene that they had in Chicago or, you know, Minneapolis. Definitely not. Maybe not. Maybe Minneapolis. I don't know. Minneapolis just sort of boomed. But I think after Chicago. I don't know. Yes, I don't. I don't recall it, it exactly. Was, it was great to see how things started progressing here, and and mm-hmm. um, you know, I I was happy to be a part of that early on in the early two thousands, and you know, um, to help elevate the Milwaukee culinary scene, and you know, push for more, and show that we were capable of more. Um, yeah. It was fun to to be a part of that. It was um, really great to see the the city grow and grow kind of quickly you know where it went from just 2000 to 2010 was pretty incredible Definitely. yeah that was, a, that was a great decade for the yeah for the expansion of the city you know and then you move on from there and it just like got faster and faster 
Um, exactly. So, so you did. You spent over just over twenty years. What made you stay? You know, because um, well, you know, I think uh, I, I became really close with with Joe Bartolotta, and um, you know, I he gave me you know <coughs> not complete creative freedom, but. He gave me a lot of creative freedom. He gave me, you know, he kept, he didn't just hold me to the culinary world. He let me become part of the business and learn more about it and be, and have a bigger voice, you know, than just being a chef because I wanted more than just being a chef. I wanted to be part of the business. I wanted to be part of um, growing things and, and he allowed for that. Um, so, you know, I, me along with, uh, couple other people became managing partners um and you know our our roles in, increased in what we did for the company yeah my main focus and goal was solely was you know with the culinary part but i i contributed in many other ways as did many other people that which was a great thing and we had a great team and it was it was fun to work with them and the way that joe um let us work together was was really great um you know, so I got to help build the company. When I started, we were three restaurants. And at one point, we were over 17 locations. And, you know, being able to help, you know, to work with Joe on, on building all those was, was really great. You know, I got to design the kitchens. I got to, you know, put together the culinary teams. I got to put together the, the menus and, and all that. And it was it was great to... Um, be mentored, you know, from a, you know, on a business level. And then for me to be mentoring all these um, chefs that, and that worked for us as well was, yeah. was made me keep moving forward because it, it, it kept me on my toes, you know, as far as always having a challenge to work with. Yeah. So, and, and well, and really, I mean, Bartolatis did, did very well. I mean, very few things that they embarked upon didn't work. You know, I mean, I think right. I think one that people may or may not even remember was was it called Nona's? Like it was on Downer Avenue, and you had to be uh, no that one on or, Downer Avenue was Ristorante Bartolota, and that was oh that was a second <coughs> a second that was the second one oh yeah okay that was the second restaurant. It first started as a second pizzeria Piccola, and okay. and uh, quickly they realized that people were wanting more than just pizza, so. Um, Joe closed it down, and then it became a restaurante and Okay, that's and, what it was. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think it it wasn't doing as great as it could have. Um, there just wasn't the density there for that restaurant. And, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, I think the build-out between that and landlord issues was to where Joe just wanted to walk away from it. Yeah, because that was back when, after Coffee Trader went out, that was Correct. part of that so old space, right? I think it started in, like, I think Pizza Piccola started in 2002, and by, like, uh, 2010 or so, we were done with, or 12, we were done with it there. Yeah. So, so what then brings you to Loopy and I was, what, what inspires this creation and kind of this, this monumental step in your career? Well, um, you know, I, I uh, about 2000, 
16, 17, I started thinking, you know, more, what am I going to do for myself? You know, not just what am I going to keep continue doing for the Bartolotta restaurants? Not that I wasn't happy doing that, but I just felt like something was missing. At some point, and, it's time, I think. You want to yeah, have and, something with your fingerprint on it. Exactly. And, you know, I, I, I was in my mid-40s and felt like, you know, well, I, I, I only have so many more years of really doing this at the level that I'm doing it at. You know, if at some point my body's going to be like, slow down, dude. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I started thinking about it. And then um, uh, my partner, Michael, had... Uh, he and I had known each other. We were kind of friends um, then because our kids went to school together. And, you know, he was he was in Eastside or in Ada at like Park Bistro often. And so we, we knew each other, but um, I knew he was in real estate. Um, he was a real estate developer. And so I, I, you know, asked him one day, like, you know, hey, think maybe you could show me a few spaces. And, you know, confidentially, he said yes. And mm-hmm. at that same time, not long before Joe passed away, I had mentioned to him that I'm thinking about, you know, leaving and opening up my own place. And he was excited. It was kind of cool. You know, he, he wasn't angry. He was excited and he thought that was really neat. And he, you know, he said, I'd love to even give you money and, you know, invest or something, but I don't want to be involved because it's yours. So we had some, a few initial conversations about that, and it was, you know, a few months before he passed um, wow. that we had started that conversation. But then, you know, um, I had, you know, Luby and Iris was a grocery store at that time, and I was asked, <laughs> was. you know, be, I, I was asked before that it was a grocery store you know, to, to name a, an ideal location, you know, Michael asked me, and I, I said this when it, before it was a grocery store, and I said, he said, why? And I said, well, it's just a great big space. It could be used in different ways. It's got parking above it. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, the access in the downtown area is just incredible because, you know, yeah. off of 794 Van Buren is one street here. The Jackson is the on-ramp. And, you know, being on Mason Street, which is a, great thoroughfare and you know lets you off of or on to lincoln memorial um so i just thought it was just a great location you know being it is right kind in of the, a perfect hinge kind point of for everything in downtown. the middle yeah you know, of exactly yeah. and right right near the hotels right near all these great office towers and residential towers i just thought it was a prime location so you know well it was becoming a grocery store so that was out um, right. Right. <laughs> so then, uh, you know, we were looking for, I was looking for a space, a few other places, you know, we almost went through with, um, but then, uh, before COVID really hit us, this space started becoming available again. The mm-hmm. grocery store wasn't doing what I guess it was expected to. And, uh, there was going to be the opportunity that this space was going to become available. And we worked with Northwestern Mutual, um, from the, you know, just before COVID hit and it took me, you know, it stretched it out longer than it needed to because of COVID. And sure. finally we, we 
negotiated a lease, and here we are. Um, <laughs> here we are. Did you uh, did you have the the kind of concept that you wanted even as far back as then, or was this something that you kind of had to like build to and, <clears throat> and and get to over the years? Well, the the food program is what I really wanted to do um, because it's French and Italian and a little bit of Spanish mixed in. You know those Mediterranean flavors which I love. And, you know, there really was, wasn't, you know, I didn't want to go uber French or uber Italian because there's already that in the city. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to do something that was a little bit maybe lighter, you know, there's more olive oil than butter here and, (laughs) you know, a little less cream and everything. And I wanted it to be something that, you know, was very approachable and, and just tastes good and is, maybe considered a bit more healthy and, but yet unique for the fine dining environment. But I also wanted to make sure that I kept it, um, which goes with my cooking philosophy is a little bit more simple and, you know, not overly played with food or anything like that. Um, just, like, just really good ingredients. Yeah. Really good ingredients Shushed. and cooked yeah. and cooked really properly, good technique. And that's, what's important to me. Um, letting the flavors and the techniques, you know, let the food, you know, be the food um, speaking for itself, you know, rather yeah. than, you know, coming up with a hundred different layers on a dish and, <laughs> and everything. Is there, a, is, is there a particular dish on the menu that you feel like speaks to kind of, if you had to pick one dish on the menu that was like, that is, that is, that was the goal here. Well, I, I think there's a few um, that are like that, actually. Like, you know, um, you know the pisseladier, which is a, a Niçoise-style tart or flatbread, which is just a simple crust where uh, we lightly grill it. And it's with these um, roasted tomatoes and olive tapenade and some white anchovies on it with some arugula. And it's just delicious. And it's it's the kind of flavor profile that I love and want to show people um you know to to stuff like our you know handmade corzetti pasta which are these uh little unique uh pasta coins um that we make and serve with a uh walnut and parmesan sauce um, what what are pasta coins i mean it sounds very obvious but i'm trying to look they literally are little round <laughs> stamped <laughs> they're little round yeah. round discs that we stamp yeah. that uh you know so it's a pasta coin it's a coin of yeah. pasta Oh, that sounds um, outstanding. Mm-hmm. And, Take and they're that delicious. chocolate coins. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's quite a few dishes that I, I really love and are unique to, to yeah. here and what I, what I'm doing. Um, yeah. Now, are the, are the dishes things that you've been sort of collecting in your head over the years? Are they things you couldn't do? You know, like, I mean, because Bertolades was a, was a, you know, you worked yeah. with Lake Park for, you know, a, lot, a long time. Right. But, you know, menus probably had to go through people, <laughs> you know, and, well, you know, probably yeah, you start with yeah, one yeah, and you so end no, up with, or, you know, right. another one. Or, so Earlier, earlier in my days at Lake Park, I had to always, you know, submit everything for menu approval. Yeah. And then, you know, as time went on, I'm like, Joe, do I really need to, do I really? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I, you know, I can barely catch you for five minutes sometimes. I, and yeah. then I just started, you know, 
going ahead and making menu changes because but, but you did know, you I save knew, things in your head like this is from oh of course you know yeah. of course but you know and some things are similar to things that I've done over the years whether they mm-hmm. were special or a certain time of year because you know not everything had to be always that heavy French bistro right. or brasserie style food um, sometimes you know I did different things and um, but you know some of this is you know the way that I liked to cook at home. Some of it's just the way that I would cook food for special events or, you know, special dinners or anything. So, um, and then some of it was just, you know, things that I saw from over the years of, of working out in Italy and, and, you know, other places over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Things that you, that you maybe wanted to try. Of so, course. And, and building at your own restaurant has some advantages, especially when you have, you know, people investing with you. And part of that is like, I mean, your kitchen setup has got to be kind of a dream world. Right. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I, I, mean, I, I will say that. fired right. grill? Oven? I have a wood-fired oven and a wood-fired yeah. grill. And that was really important to me because that's a huge part of the flavor profile that I like. <coughs> Excuse me, with... Um, many of the meats and fish or seafood and vegetables that we cook, you know, I want them to get a light smoke flavor to them um, rather than just be a, you know, piece of meat that's cooked in an oven. Um, you know, I, I, it, it gives it a unique characteristic, especially when mixed with some of the sauces or uh, some of the other ingredients that it's going with. Um, so, and then there's the island cooking suite, which is very unique to, to Milwaukee. And, you know, it allows for um, more kitchen and a smaller footprint. And, you know, it also allows for the, the kitchen to be basically out in the dining room, in the restaurant. So it's not hidden anywhere. So, you know, a guest at any time can come walking by and see everything that's going on. And they they can even sit and dine with us, you know, because there's those... Yeah, uh, three kitchen tables along the side of the of the kitchen, and then the the chef counter seats eight people where they can sit at the front of the kitchen and and watch what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, I mean, the restaurant itself, I, I would say, it, it is probably like I don't know the most opulent, well done interior on a restaurant. You know, that we've seen it in Thank a while. You. Restaurants were getting kind of small. You know. Right. They definitely were trending smaller um, and more quaint for yes. you know, probably the last six, seven years. Um, and, and this is wanted, definitely yes. like bigger and, <laughs> you know. Exactly. Um, a lot we, cooler. We, want, we wanted something that was going to feel very cosmopolitan and something that made you feel like you were in, a, in Chicago or New York or mm-hmm. some, a, another major city, but yet you're still in Milwaukee. And that was very important to um, Michael and myself and our wives who, you know, are a part of this as well. And we wanted something that was different. We wanted something that, um, you know, showcased Milwaukee, you know, on a fine dining level, but had different elements in it to where, you know, you walk into this nice big bar and, it's a little bit more casual, um, but there's plenty of bars, dining and seating at the bar itself. There's a lounge off to the side where if you just want to have some cocktails or, or, or you know, wait for your table, um, the 
wine room, which is right behind the bar, which is, you know, so you could see all the wines at the restaurant and it's temperature controlled. So it's, it's really cool. You see 2000 bottles of wine just staring at you, mm-hmm. you know, when you walk in and as you walk through the, the restaurant and it's for the size of this, of this restaurant, it's not that big of a dining room. The dining room itself only seats just over 80 people. Um, but then there's the chef counter and chef kitchen area, which seats another 20. And then we have over a hundred uh, seats in private dining. And it was important to break up the restaurant to all these areas so that we could accommodate people in many different ways. I didn't want to have a main dining room that sat like 150 people only to, you know, in, in March yeah. not have, to see, have to even a, 50 a quarter people full. in a night and have it look right. vacuous and empty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So having these private, you know, a couple small private spaces, one large private dining room, the different, you know, uh, dining areas in the kitchen and the, you know, the chef counter and then the bar dining. It, it was important to me to give a different feel. And the, the finishes and touches that we did, uh, you know, not only with the layout, were really important to, to, to us. And, you know, we wanted stuff that wasn't seen or used before. Our all leather chairs that we brought in from Italy, the colors, which they got you know, stuck Michael, there for a second too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, they, they missed the opening week, but they eventually they got here. Yeah. You know, and, and some of the colors that we chose, it's, you know, the, the browns, the blues, the oranges, and, you know, are, are just really, you know, great. And, you know, Michael pushed me on a lot of those color choices. You know, I loved them, but I wasn't, you know, sure if Milwaukee was ready to look at something like that or how they would react, but it's been really great. And the restaurant's yeah. just really beautiful and well done. Yes. And, you know, there's so many details in here that many restaurants wouldn't think yeah. of. And, yeah, like, you know, between, I mean, like the waves on the ceiling, which are part yeah. of, which are part of the, the sound, you know, the yeah, sound acoustical. mitigation, um, the acoustical, but they also are kind of a, an aesthetic feature. So that's, right. yeah, that no, works that, out well. They, they were, they were, they, they are great. And, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's those that are really neat to our, our, uh, walnut tabletops that are covered in, you know, with, with leather tops and, um, you know, the, the China glass and silver, which comes from a company, you know, out of Paris and, you know, they're just really nice, um, you know, pieces. And we wanted to have just something that was different to our, you know, our really great custom-made uniforms that, that we are buying out of California, um, you know, for the wait staff. And uh, there's a lot of just great details here. The, the, the warm, warm, dimmable lighting that we have throughout the place and, you know, the, the detail of the spotlighting and, and the, all the different speakers and sounds and stuff and the AV. It was all, all just attention to detail that we felt was really important. And, you know, between our our restaurant architect uh, Mark Nauer and then also uh, Michael and and then a little bit myself, you know, picking out a lot of these finishes, it was it was cool to see what they put together. Um, it really yeah, was for sure. Were you ever nervous? I mean, just because the timing of this happened to fall kind of right as mm-hmm. COVID was happening and you're building during COVID, and did you have this? moment or moments where you were like, Ugh, <laughs> what if this, a little. you know, what, what if this doesn't work? Right. I mean, well, that's, <laughs> I don't know. It's hard I, not, I, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in someone's brain. Right. Um, 
because obviously, you know, I think anytime a chef starts a new place, you have to accept the fact that anything could happen, you know, but then when you're up against odds that are really bizarre, um, like a pandemic, it, I think, you know, I would think that, you know, the uncertainty is, is way crazier. Um, it was, it, it, you know, you're a fool if you're not nervous doing this every day, you know, it's yeah. nothing is ever a home run or anything like that. And, you know, that's, it takes a lot of hard work and, and, and developing a great team to, to work with, to make this, this happen. Um, and, you know, the COVID has not made things easy at all. Um, you know, and again, the staffing levels are the hardest thing that, that, you know, just staffing in general is what has been the hardest, but, um, you know, just the fact that we stayed on time with construction, you know, pretty close to on time. We, we fell back yeah. a few weeks from what we originally wanted to open. Um, it's pretty but incredible. That, but that and always happens. <laughs> that like pretty you, I mean, yeah. you, 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 usually you're months behind, yeah. but the fact that we only stayed, you know, yeah. a, you know, a few weeks behind what we had originally planned is, was pretty great. And, um, you know, to be where we are right now is really awesome. And I, I look forward to just continuing to see this place grow and become yeah. a part of the Milwaukee community. Yeah. So how, so kind of, kind of maybe one final question, kind of moving forward, you know, people are just kind of getting a chance, you know, to taste what you've done in five months. Um, you already have some regulars, which is nice. Right. Um, but kind of where do you see this going? I mean, is this, do you kind of have your head full of this ever evolving sort of ideas for the menu um, kind of seasonally? Um, how, do you, how do you envision that? Well, I think I, ha I have a core menu that, that works. And then mm -hmm. there's always the seasonal changes that, that it will be done to it because certain vegetables are just not good at certain times of the year. Right. Or there's certain, you know, items that are better at <clears throat> in the winter than they are in the summer. And so, you know, those menu choices will obviously happen. And uh, not every menu item is a home run. So you, you replace those and find what, what works. You know, I started off with a rather big menu compared to most restaurants. And, you know, I'm, I'm still debating whether or not I want to keep it that big. You know, some of it I'm, I've, I've changed a, a couple things so far. And, you know, I'm looking to make a, a few more changes later this month and you know it'll continue to um slowly evolve because i don't i don't want to have something where i'm constantly changing the entire menu i want a place where people know that they can come and get something on a regular basis mm -hmm. but also know that there's going to be a few changes here and there and then also special items that that you know are also available yeah. um the wine the wine program too it's like you know we started off a little bit smaller and it's been developing and growing and becoming a really well-rounded wine list and it's going to continue to grow and develop. It'll take probably another six months to get it to where it really needs to be. Um, but it's, you know, it's the restaurant just needs to be, you know, ever evolving, I guess, but it doesn't have to be completely changing. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. you know, some people, some people thrive on that. You know, it changes all the time. And, and it used to be that restaurant menus just didn't change much, you know. And so yeah. this is sort of that happy medium where the folks that want something new, when they come, 
you know, on right. a more regular basis are getting that. And the folks that want to do that special couple of dishes that they always <laughs> love will have right. that too. Well, I'm so. sure there's always sometimes that frustration of, you know, you have a great meal at a restaurant and you're just like, oh, that, that dish <laughs> never exists again. Yeah. And, same. you know, there, there is something about going to a restaurant like, and f- yeah. knowing that like, okay, this one thing that yeah. I loved is, is going to be there. Like it, right. it's it's nice to have a comfort yeah. blanket, you know. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, I'm not looking yeah. to reinvent myself ways. all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can go both, both ways. I think sometimes when you have a really great meal that you can never eat again, it's even better. Like because it just can't ever happen again. You know, it's like right. That's that's. But what if I want to eat it again, Lori? But what if I want it again? Like, well, it's uh, number one. Even if it's the same, it's never the same twice. Like, yeah, first time true. you eat something really amazing, it's going to be the most amazing, you know. But what if you Probably. have it again and it's equally amazing? Come on, well, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'll allow for that. What if it's somehow better? Like, like, I don't mind so much if I if I only get to eat something once and I have to go and, you know, make butts the, the next time. Yeah, that, but I also that tend to not. doesn't work I'm, for me. I'm not really a one. <laughs> but I tend to order. I'm not a streak eater. So um, sometimes I'll order the same thing. But usually it's at places where I know that most of the other stuff isn't as good. I'm a creature of habit. I like to eat the same, you know, I can, okay. yeah. I, I don't but like I can see that, yeah. Food. I think there's, yeah. there's a balance to it, you know, like you were saying, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. nice to have those things that people know they can always come back for, but yeah. also... Yeah. Look at the menu and be like, "Oh, that's exciting! That's different." Yeah. I think right. well, I think there's and, and there's a way to places, maintain the balance. Yeah. Yeah. And square places like you know, Odd Duck changes their menu all the time, but there are two or three things that have always been on that menu that they can't take off. Like it's mm-hmm. it's bizarre because even places like that are smart enough to keep the things that nobody wants to leave. To know that there's favorites yeah. that they can rotate in and out that are like, yeah. "That's yeah. right, everybody, we brought it back." <laughs> It's, it's like McDonald's there. and the McRib. Yes. It's just yes. like the McRib. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be better. It'll be uh, much, one, much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a McRib, but but actual food. Um, <laughs> I we have to ask the most important question before we yes. we let you go. Where can people find out more about Loopy and Iris? Where can people find you guys, both in reality and online? Yeah. Well, in reality, we're at uh, seven seventy seven. North Van Buren is where the restaurant is located in downtown Milwaukee. But just go to our website, uh, loopyandiris.com, um, and you can find out about our menu, any special events that we have coming up, um, or just, you know, call the restaurant and, and ask any yeah. questions that you have. Yeah. Um, and and they're also on Facebook, for sure. Instagram, we are, I believe. Yeah, we, are, we have a Loopy and Iris Facebook mm-hmm. and Loopy and Iris Instagram Um and the the wonderful world of of social media, <laughs> <laughs> which is famously the Indeed. best place Indeed. on earth. Famously, it's classically been Adam's favorite thing. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, not really. Um, and and you guys are currently serving so both lunch and dinner. And we serve brunch, uh, lunch correct? and dinner, correct? So yeah. we're lunch Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. from eleven a.m. to two p.m. Um, Sunday through Thursday dinner, five to nine p.m., and then Saturday and or Friday and Saturday uh, dinner is five to ten, and Sunday brunch is ten to two. There we go. And so, so. yeah, we're and, then, we're and there's open lots of nice time. and there's lots of nice crossover 
between kind of the menus. So, you know, mm. if you have a favorite dish that you just want to eat all the time, you might be able to eat it for lunch. There are a few things that follow yeah. through on, on yeah. all the menus. Um, and, and also, you know, in between meal periods, we leave the bar mm-hmm. open. So if anyone wants to come in for a drink mm-hmm. or, or to sit down, it's, that's also... Do you have a special... Can you eat the full menu at the bar or is your... Yep. Okay. You sure can't. The only place we don't serve any food is in the lounge, in the cocktail lounge. Um, that's for for drinking kind of only. Folks to just gather and yeah, have a have a glass yeah. of something. Yeah. Yeah, but you can have the full full menu at the bar. Um, no punishment for eating in the bar. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I occasionally, you know, especially when I'm by myself, I love eating right. in bars. And, so, yeah, and, and we also bar, have yeah. a patio that's uh, oh, winding yeah, down. Amazing patio. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's not patio season anymore as of this morning, but no. we do have some. You know, there is a canopy that covers a few tables. Um, Those are the biggest with heat, with canopy heater. umbrellas over. Yeah. like like you have like two of them, and they cover the whole two of them. They're the sixteen foot by sixteen foot. Yeah, they're insane and amazing. Yeah, take that yeah. nature. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yes. yeah, so so that is to say, you know. If you want to go to Loopy and Iris, there's all sorts of ways um, that you can experience it. We so, are here. We're you. looking forward to seeing everybody. Yeah. Well, thank you, Adam. Um, well, thank you pleasure. so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It was, it was fun being with you guys. Thank you. That was an awesome conversation. It's always nice. It is always nice to talk to people that you know in the food industry and to find out that they are just really awesome people. And it's just true. like really good conversation. Yeah. And you know, they say stories. don't meet your heroes, yeah. but sometimes your heroes are awesome. So, yeah. Well, and, it, and it's funny because there's always stories that people don't know, you know, because especially, especially, I guess, you know, I mean, somebody like Adam, you know, he's been around for a long time, but he wasn't necessarily front and center, you know, of the media. I kind of avoid, I mean, truthfully, when we joked about social media being his favorite thing, it never was. I mean, <laughs> he really, he like formed his social media accounts specifically because someone said, if you're starting your own restaurant, you have to be on social. Um, whereas he <laughs> Which really is true. wasn't fond, you know, prior to that. And it's totally true. So um, I think there's a lot that people, you know, don't know. You know, mm-hmm. they know his food and he, they know his reputation and, you know, they've probably seen him, you know, at events and, you know, on television here and there. But, you know, yeah. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, you know, absolutely. To talk and, to him. Um, and I have to try these these pasta coins because that sounds fat, oh, yeah. that sounds yeah, one they, million percent like and, my jam. And there's only it's kind of funny because there's the pasta shop um, in Bayview. Yeah, the new that makes the fresh pasta, and she is making corzetti because it's not something you will you can find them in dried form at Gloriosos. Um, okay, but it's not commonly you know they're not the most common pasta shape. No, um, but but see, because I guess pasta, if you normally want that, if you want that shape of pasta, you'd probably do like an orchetti, which has like a little uh, dimple to it, which holds sauce. Yeah, maybe. I mean, because they all have. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of pastas. I'm obsessed actually with pasta shapes and knowing what sauces go with what pastas. It is kind of a um, fun little thing to like be like, okay, why, why, why do I do yeah. this? What, because what, there's what a ton. I mean, shape? and you know, we all kind of like are like, oh, everything goes with spaghetti, and the reality is, is that spaghetti goes with very specific 
this, you know, like if you if you go according to like what Italians do, spaghetti is a very specific pasta for a very specific sauce. Um, so someday I'm going to know what all of them are, <laughs> what all of them are for, you know, because some of them are made specifically for like seafood and some mm-hmm. of them for like pesto sauce. I love it. Um, I want somebody, I don't know. Pasta every, science every is the chance, coolest science. Every chance I get, I'm studying up on what does what and where it's from and all that. So, Absolutely. Um, but in the yeah. meantime, we're going to read food porn. We are. <laughs> we in, are. The me- in the meantime, we're going to read tasty yes. things. Yes. And it's, it is cooling down here. As I said, you know, kind of got our first cold. snow. It's real it's garbage. Also, I believe that the, when this will run will be just before Halloween. So we're also this moving into Halloween. spooky This sleeping. is Halloween. <laughs> You do a pretty good version of that. You just got to drop your voice down low. That's that's kind of the the secret to it. This is Halloween. This. Oh, I guess I can do it you too. Did great. All right, you did All right. great, Lori. Oh, I have I have freaky, crazy voices. Some of my Halloween. Oh, I hate yeah, it. Yeah, let's not let's, do that. Let's never add. Oh, That's geez, creepy. The podcast is over. Call it, it's canceled. I can, podcast also, is canceled. I can also do an amazing male operatic voice, but I'm not going to do that for you today because it would require. I'm intrigued a of, by this. A bit of prep someday. Yeah. I'm intrigued I have, by I have to warm up a little for it, but I have. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, anyway, I, food I have, porn. I have uh, many this alter isn't egos. Vocal, this isn't vocal porn. This is food porn. Is it, and yes. what are we? What are we reading today? And today it is called. It is food related, um, but it's called "The Witch Has Told You a Story." Um, oh. And I think as we read it, you'll figure out which witch is which. Um, but this oh, is a this poem. might be a this might not be a Halloween witch. So. Woo. Woo. Um, it is a it is a notorious witch from a fairy tale Um, okay I'll I'll give you that much so but this is the witch has told you a story by Ava Lovell Heyman um I'll read this one because I don't know you you seem excited about it you're already leaning into the wordplay and I kind of I was going to do a voice I'm not going to do a voice I'm just going to read it but um here we go so The Witch Has Told You a Story by Ava Lovell Heyman. You are food. You're here for me to eat. Fatten up, and I will like you much better. Your brother will be first. You must wait your turn. Feed him yourself, you will. Learn to do it. You will take him. Eggs with yellow sauce and muffins torn apart in leaking butter and fried meats late in the morning and always sweets in a sticky parade from the kitchen. His vigilance, an ice pick of hunger pricking his insides, will melt in the unctuous cream fillings. He will forget. He will thank you for it little fingers stuck every day through the cracks in the bars. He will grow sleek and round. His hollow face will swell like the moon. He will stop dreaming about fear in the woods without food. He will lean toward the maw of the oven as it opens every afternoon, sighing better and better smells. Creepy. So is it a witch witch? So is it like a like a like an evil witch? Like, like Hansel a, like, and Gretel witch. 
Yeah. Touching it. Like, I thought it was is... going to be like secret, like, like a sandwich. Like it was going <laughs> to no. be like wordplay in that regard. Uh, like a sandwich. And then no, I was no, listening no. to it and I was just like, no, this guy, this seems yeah. like, a, like, a, like a witch witch. No, like a, like I love this because it's like, it's like the witch talking to Gretel about yeah. force feeding her brother so that she can eat him. Yeah, that's, and it's like that's, okay, he'll go first, but you can. I don't know. So it's creepy. Yeah, that but was, there's lots that was and lots sinister, of food in Lori. Here. That was sinister. Yeah, yeah, the creepiest we've gone. <laughs> so, well, um, Lori, where can people find more of Food Crush podcast and our creepy crawly uh, <laughs> food porn? And maybe you know my operatic singing voice. Someday. Maybe you're. Maybe we'll save that for the final. The final. Maybe, maybe next Halloween I'll dress up as my yeah. operatic self. All right. Um, this is all right. You've already. Well, you, you know. Put, you already know. I do. You put it out in the world, Lori. So now it needs to happen. <laughs> right, you've maybe. you've done this to yourself. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Um, all right. So, but you can find Food Crush at Food Crush Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, we're pretty much on all of those places. I have to double check. To yeah. See. I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, I but, think we need to do a little bit more on Facebook we're these days. But, we're all over the place. Um, yeah. And in fact, um, very, very soon, I think we're going to be doing a, oh, uh, no, that might be after this. Never mind. Never mind, never mind. <laughs> this, this podcast will run. I can't, I can't forecast things that it will Wait a, wait a, wait a, in the unspoiler alert. Yeah, let's that. just wait take a... this whole section right out. Um, <laughs> never mind. But anyways, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. you can but find can all of find our you? stuff on, oh, me. Well, yeah. me, you can find me at a man about film on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, allegedly on Instagram. I, I, I cook food every now and then on Twitter. It's great. Yes. And uh, I've been making this uh, chorizo potato stew lately. Um, mm-hmm. It's getting to be yeah, stew. Quite a it's getting to be times. stew slash. Uh, aren't you? Aren't you? Gonna, are you going to get tired of it if you make it too often? Uh, no, I I do a pretty decent job of kind of rotating things in and out. Okay, that's good. Making sure I don't go too yeah. hard on one dish too yeah. much. Uh, because I'm getting, I'm, because... I, I'm getting kind of that with my jambalaya that I do. Mm-hmm. That I think I'm I'm gonna have to pass. Like yeah. I think we should have a week this week without jambalaya. So that's yeah. good. You should stop. You should stop before you because honestly, so I grew these little yellow patty pan squashes in my in my garden. And I know you're not a big fan of squash, but I typically am and I like the little yellow patty pan ones better than like zucchini because I think mm-hmm. the texture overall, you might like them actually. Okay. The texture is way better. They have slightly less water content, so they don't get like slimy when you cook them as much. Interesting. Anyway, but my plants grew so many of these squash. Literally, I was giving them away. I always had some on the counter, some in the fridge. I was making everything squash. Like, I was basically converting every dish I made into something that had squash in it because I had so much squash and I didn't (laughs) really have the time to, like, I don't know, because I, you can freeze them. But I still have squash in my freezer from last year because I had too much squash. So I literally got to the point where I cannot, I still have squash in the garden that I actually just let sit there. It's probably rotting right now because I can't eat any more summer squash. Yeah. <laughs> That's the worst. It is it's really just, the worst feeling. I mean, when, next you know, summer I'll I'll be fine. Like, because it's not yeah. like I hate, hate hate this food, but I am so tired of this food. It's like, and I think seasons are great that way because, like asparagus, I just eat it like mad for like a month, mm-hmm. and then I don't eat it until next year. Yeah, when I spe- and I mean, then you're like, oh, I'm burnt out on it. Moving on. Yeah, and that that sort of works 
Like, I think that works great for seasonal food because, you know, unless I happen to get it, you know, there's occasionally a restaurant that will serve off-season asparagus, but you eat it and you're like, oh, this isn't even good because December asparagus just isn't um, in comparison. So I'm always happy to wait a year to eat it again. Well, this is a case is like for two months, squash is too available. <laughs> just, but yeah. I don't need it again. You're like, summer. can't be done anymore. Got to yeah. gotta put it out to pasture. Yeah. So so don't do that to yourself. Where can don't people m- find out about your uh, your <laughs> squash misery on the, inter- <laughs> on the internet? I probably haven't talked about my squash misery until today. Um, but you can find me at Low Frederick on all of those channels, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, and I do have a tendency to post food. Eh, maybe all of mm. those places. Maybe one or more of them. I don't know. Here and there. Usually not on all of them at the same time. So you might <laughs> you might have to stalk all of those places <laughs> to find everything. But anyway. Um, yeah. And then you can find us here. Which you've already done. Yeah, you've so already yeah. done it. And uh, this is just the latest episode. And as always at this part of the podcast, thank you so much, everybody. Yes for listening thank you so much to our listeners thank you so much to our awesome guest adam thank you to our producer producer gabe you're killing it producer gabe Uh, but yeah and uh thank you as always to my my co-host my co-host with the co-most you too (laughs) and with too much squash it's Lori frederick uh thank you always again to you listeners for listening and on that note keep cooking